Hey, dear saints, you're listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword. Sermons from Pastor Kilgo, preached at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We pray that as you hear God's word, you would be strengthened in faith and love and rejoice in the joy of the Lord's promises and kindness. In the name of Jesus, amen. Dear saints, mountains are one of the most majestic parts of our Lord's creation. They are at the same time imposing and serene and frightening. You know, people will travel great distances just to gaze upon their beauty. Others who will travel great distances to climb and conquer them. Like little children, when we see them, we cannot help ourselves but to climb up to the tops and see the beautiful, of cre- the beautiful nature of creation into which we've been set. The mountains are not just beautiful because of their creation. They are also beautiful because of the way the Lord has used them throughout his work in creation. They are theological. We have God dwelling on the mountain as his people journey through the wilderness for 40 years. We have God dwelling on the mountain as he cares for his people and as they tremble at his voice. We have the Lord coming to Elijah on the mountain in order to send him out forth in faith and boldness. We have the promise of the resurrection, which contains in it the picture of the city of Jerusalem set on a hill or a mountain. Mount Zion is the picture of the resurrection itself, and we have our redemption secured upon a mountain. And today we get one of the most famous mountains in the scriptures, and that is of Mount Moriah, where Abraham journeys with his only son Isaac, trusting in the Lord's promise. Now a little note on mountains before we get too much into it, and that is uh, Hebrew and Greek don't have a word differentiating mountain and hill and other elevated things. It's all just one word for an elevated piece of ground. So whenever you encounter either a mountain or a hill or anything like that in the scriptures, know that it is the same word, and that does kind of help to unpack a little bit more of what's going on in some of these places. So we just want to kind of hold that in our mind. But that's not the point of today. The point of today is Abraham and Isaac and Christ. And so to our father Abraham, who after years of waiting, the Lord finally makes true on his promise to him and Sarah that they would have an offspring together that they would conceive and give birth to a son. And this son is Isaac, the son of laughter. And it's from this one, according to God's word and promise, that the offspring of Abraham shall be named. It's from this one that the Lord's promise to Abraham that his offspring would be like the sand of the sea and the stars of the heavens would be fulfilled. It's from this one that would be born kings and nations and even Jesus himself. He's not just the son of promise to Abraham and Sarah. He's the continuation of the promise to Adam and Eve, that it's through this one that the Messiah would come to crush the head of the serpent. It's through this one that we would be freed from bondage to sin and death and the devil. And finally, this son of promise is born to them and to us. Then a few years later, Abraham gives, gets another word from the Lord, but this one not quite so joyful. After these things, God tested Abraham and said to him, Abraham, and he said, here am I. 
He said, take your son, your only son Isaac, whom you love, and go to the land of Moriah, and offer him there as a burnt offering on one of the mountains of which I shall tell you. We look at this, and we are tempted to think that God has lost his mind. It seems that either God is a tyrant, who simply just likes toying with everybody. He's been toying with Abraham and Sarah this whole time, and when he's finally given them a son, that he just rips it away from them giving them a beloved child and heir, and then telling Abraham to go and kill that beloved child and heir. Or it seems like perhaps God is suffering from dementia. Did he forget what he had promised to Abraham? Did he perhaps misspeak? Did he mean to say uh, Ishmael and not Isaac? Or perhaps there is something deeper going on here. Perhaps, as we shall see, the Lord, as does Abraham, understands something that we are apt to forget. As C.S. Lewis once stated, when we encounter God, we have basically three options. That he is either a liar, or he is a lunatic, or he is the Lord. And so we are confronted with these three options again with Isaac and Abraham. Either God's a liar, and he didn't really mean that Isaac would be the heir to Abraham and his family, or God is a lunatic, and he's treating Abraham like a puppet that he can just pull the strings of, or, this is the one we ought to go with, that he is the Lord who rules and governs over all things, even over death in the grave. Abraham, we ought not forget, is a man of faith. He knows what lays ahead, and he knows the promises of Isaac, and he knows that the Lord always keeps his promises, and so Abraham goes in faith. And though the thought of killing his only beloved son, whom he loves, certainly pains him, as it would any father, he goes knowing that because the Lord has made these promises concerning Isaac, because the Lord is the God of the living and not of the dead, that even if she should take the knife to Isaac and offer him on the altar of the Lord, that the Lord would make sure that his promises and his words are kept, even if that means raising Isaac from the dead. By faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac shall your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did receive him back. Abraham knows exactly what's going on. He knows that one way or another, he and Isaac will climb the mountain and that both of them will come back down. Now, it's not super clear in the English, but it's exactly this that's going on in the Hebrew of the text in which he speaks to his two servants. Abraham said, stay here with the donkey. I and the boy will go over there and worship, and we will come back to you. Abraham knows what's going on. Isaac, not so much. He's not privy to the Lord's command and why they're there, but you get the sense that he's not sure everything is exactly kosher here. The wood of the sacrifice is loaded on Isaac. They climb up the mountain with the fire and the knife. But there is, strangely enough, no animal for the sacrifice in sight. So Isaac asks the rather obvious question, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is 
the lamb for a burnt offering. To which Abraham responds with these words of faith, God will provide. Sin requires sacrifice. Sin requires particularly the sacrifice of the shedding of blood. That is the price that our payment demands. That's the price that our rebellion demands. Payment has to be made to satisfy the debt of sin, and the payment for that sin is death. In our sin, we have been exiled from God, and the only way for us to be brought back to him is for our ransom to be paid. And the price of that ransom is blood, but not just any blood. It has to be holy blood, holy blood, pure blood, precious blood, blood like that of a lamb, which is without spot or blemish, blood that is more precious than silver and gold and jewels. And we might be tempted to think that perhaps our blood could satisfy, or that the blood of Isaac could satisfy, or that perhaps the blood of all the lambs and goats and bulls which would come in Israel would be able to satisfy. But not all the blood of bulls on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or take away the stain. So Abraham and Isaac reach the peak. And Abraham binds the wood, makes an altar, and he takes his only son, the one whom he loves, and he binds him and he places him on the wood and he raises the knife. And as the hand is coming down, we hear the voice of the angel of the Lord, the pre-incarnate Christ, Abraham. And the sacrifice is stopped because Isaac is not the one who must be sacrificed. His death and blood will not be enough. And the Lord, as he has promised, and as Abraham confesses, the Lord provides. There in the thicket, caught by its, thorns is, by its horns, is a ram, and it is to be a sacrifice. On the mount of the Lord, it will be provided. But this is just a foreshadowing still of the true sacrifice that must take place. Blood still must be shed for our atonement. Our consciences must be set at peace, knowing that we are forgiven and set into the home of our Heavenly Father. So when Christ appeared as the high priest for the good things that have come, then through the greater and more perfect tent not made with hands, that is, of this creation, he entered once for all into the holy places, not by means of the blood of goats and calves, but by means of his own blood, thus securing an eternal redemption. For the blood of goats and bulls and the sprinkling of defiled persons with the ashes of a heifer sanctify for the purification of the flesh. How much more will the blood of Christ, who through the eternal spirit offered himself without blemish to God, Purify our conscience from dead works to serve the living God. Therefore, he is the mediator of a new covenant, so that those who are called may receive the promised eternal inheritance, since death has occurred that redeems them from the transgressions committed under the first covenant. Not all the blood of beasts on Jewish altars slain could give the guilty conscience peace or take away our stain. But Christ, the heavenly lamb, takes all our sin away, a sacrifice of nobler name and richer blood than they. When Abraham confesses that God will provide, it is a confession of faith, but it is also a prophecy. The literal translation here reads this. God will provide himself as a lamb for the burnt offering, my son. And this provision is Christ. As the Lord has reminded us that God gave his only son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have eternal life. 
This beloved son, like Isaac, will be bound to be sacrificed, and he too is bound to the wood that he would die. But unlike Isaac, he goes all the way into that death. Unlike Isaac, he will shed his blood for the atonement and the forgiveness and the reconciling and the redemption of all of humanity. Sin, our sin, has separated us and exiled us from God, and the payment required to bring us back from that exile is blood. And on the mount of the Lord, the Lord provides the payment provided by himself, not on the mount of Moriah, but on the mount of Calvary. Here on that mountain, the Lord sacrifices not a ram, but himself. He, the Lamb of God, takes away the sins of the world through his own blood. Jesus is given to you that by faith, we would look upon this lamb and know that we no longer have this fearful expectation of judgment, but instead we have the promise of eternal life in him. For God has provided his own beloved son, his only son, so that your debt would be paid, so that your death would be died, so that your bondage would be broken, so that your life would be restored, and so that your home would be with his father who is now your father. We who have been exiled from the presence of God by our sins have been returned to his presence and have been given, like Abraham, the wonderful promises of God, of forgiveness and of life and of salvation. And we who keep these words of Jesus then also have what they promise. Whoever keeps my word will never see death. You, dear saints, covered in the blood of the Lamb and given his life-giving words are promised that because he has died, you will not. That because he has already tasted death for you, you are now immortal. Because on the accursed tree, your sins hang there with him, and they are killed, and you have, therefore, eternity of God in their place. In Jesus' name, amen. The peace of God, which passes all understanding, guards your hearts and your minds through Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Thanks for listening to Preaching Christ Crucified on Double-Edged Sword, sermons by Pastor Kilgo at Redeemer Lutheran Church in Lawrence, Kansas. We'd like to invite you to join us for church, Sundays at 10 a.m. and Wednesdays at 7 p.m. We also have Bible study at 9 a.m. on Sunday mornings and at other times throughout the week. Please visit our website at redeemer-lawrence.org for more information. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you next time.